Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show with Nancy Hopkins and Walt Silva. Produced by Colleen Kelly of Haggy Shack Radio, simulcasted over Cosmic Reality Radio. Listening to Cosmic Reality. <laughs> hello, hello. There he is. There he is. Hi, Walt. Hello, hello. Okay. Everything good? I keep forgetting. That, yeah, I keep forgetting. Every time you unplug or plug something in Windows, all of a sudden it forgets where it is. Where am I? Where am I? Um, nothing works. So I'm gonna have. I'm gonna. Have, I'm gonna have to get some computer technician to help me with this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I have a problem with voice meter on the other computer. Um, what? What's the problem? Well, I'm not going to talk about it now because we've already oh, talked. Okay. We already told the, whoever's listening what, what was happening. Anyway, um, so we'll just. Do you want to play the intro here, Colleen, or do you want to just put it in afterwards? I can just put it in afterwards. It's seven minutes after the hour. Might uh, as well go ahead and might go. As, with it. Might as well. Okay, um, this is the Cosmic Reality Radio Show. It's being produced by Haggy Shack Radio's Colleen Kelly. I am with Walt Silva, my uh, co-host on this, and I hope you all are having just a marvelous day. Uh, It seems like there's a lot of tech issues all over the place. Um, I hope they're not affecting you. I wish they weren't affecting us. (laughs) And welcome, my friend. How are we doing today, Walter? Oh, hi there. Well, I'm just busy in gathering parts to make more turtle hearts. Because if you don't put a beating heart in the turtle, you can't put a soul in it. So, you know, just follow, following the ingredients. The water turtle. You're talking about the water turtle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess we're getting uh, a rash of people wanting them. <laughs> Better get something for that rash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, any chance that you caught the Whitley's uh, discussion with uh, Starfire Tour? Uh, no, I, I don't follow those shows. Oh man, I wished I, I wished I, I wished I'd known it was going to be that good because it was ex- extremely good. I love Starfire. Say again? Well, okay. What were the bullet points? I actually took notes because we were just... Colleen and I were just talking about it. But to be honest, I'm not sure if we did a good job with it because she's one of these people that when she's talking to you and explaining what she's seeing and trying to get across what she knows, you kind of follow it. But then if you try to repeat your understanding of what she said, it falls apart. Yes, <laughs> it's like, uh, wait a minute, let me think about that. You know what I'm saying? One of those people? But, uh, Why? Huh? Why? I don't get it. Well, because she's talking about really complex things, like the core matrix. Have you ever, have you ever listened to any of her stuff? No, I've only read the stuff that you've sent me. Okay. She... I'm going to I'm going to tell you what I think that she said. Okay, she was discussing um, the core matrix, and 
she sort of eventually got to the point of saying, think of the core matrix as a hard drive. Now, she said very, you know, she's pointed to the fact, do not think that this is a holographic universe. It's very real. But the core matrix is works sort of like a hard drive. So every single timeline that could possibly be starts out. It starts to run through. And she says that there are coexisting ti- uh, timelines, simultaneously coexisting timelines, that we are, we are on and we are 3D. We're just like we are here, but we're on a different timeline. And you remember last week we brought in Dolly because of the um, the weird thing she had with the waiter when she thought she had ordered and, in fact, had ordered on another timeline. Um, that dimensional shifting thing that happens is... She got into that, and she says that... that okay, now this, this, one, this one, unfortunately... Myself and um, Colleen, when the when the show started up, you, you're unmuted, hon. When the show started up, we had a situation where on both ends, she got preoccupied with something, I got preoccupied with something, so I didn't quite catch what she said, but it was what I think I heard her say was that the original universe was gobbled up in some massive, huge black hole. And that it caused aberrations on every in, in this universe, because every universe, every timeline, is. And she used the idea that if if I'm writing a chapter in a book, I always save the chapter, and then normally I will make edits, but I might save that as an edited version of the original. It just seems to be what. I do as a writer, and apparently she does too, because and what Whitley too, because she says, well, when you're making, you, you you write a book, you put it there, and then you go back to it, and you're going to make changes. She said, don't you always keep a copy, the basic copy, and then make the changes and save them? And he went, yeah. And it's the same and thing. where is she getting this from? Say what? Where is she getting this from? Where she the get- universe was gobbled up. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure because, she, you know, like I say, I, I was distracted. I don't know how much she set that up or she just said it. Because to me, it's not a brand new concept because it's, it's in, the, in the ancient Hindu traditions. Oh, um, tell me about the, it. <laughs> well, the, the universe is a toroidal field. It's like a giant apple. And a toroidal field has two poles, like the, the same way that you have the, the two magnetic poles and you have a vortex on top. But when you're looking at an apple... You see it from a side, it looks like a sphere, but if you look at it at an angle, you can see that it's a toroidal field. It has a vortex on top and then a vortex on the bottom. So things are going in on, on one end. I don't care if it's the bottom or the top and coming out the other end. That's why there is, the concept of the Bing Bang is just a theory and an explanation because that's exactly what happens is that the... The, the universe is both entropic and negentropic, meaning that it's always regenerating itself because as stuff goes in, let's say the, the top uh, vortex is where everything is imploding, everything is coming in onto itself, and then it comes out the bottom, it, making itself anew. So that's why it's, it's, it's 
it's always building itself as it's being destroyed. So that, that entire cycle, when something comes out of one end and goes in the other, in the ancient uh, Hindu traditions, it's called one year of Brahma. And that's the cycle between creation and uncreation. So there are, uh, Yogananda had a chance to meet some of them in India, uh, like that woman, Ananda Mak, who lived in a state of Samadhi. She had lived on, on, on a planet like Earth. Uh, she remembered not only past lives, but she remembered lives in the previous universe, before this universe. <laughs> and there's actually evidence, I'm not... I'm not, uh, and yes, I have seen it in a shamanic journey that that's the shape of the universe, but there is actually evidence to back up what I have witnessed because um, if you, I've mentioned this in other programs, there is a great book, I think it was written in the late 50s, 60s, by an immigrant uh, scientist who came to live in the U.S. His name is uh, George Gamal, and he wrote a book called One, Two, Three, Infinity. And in the book, he covers a multitude of scientific subjects, mathematics, physics, chemistry, and he has an entire chapter dedicated to astronomy. And he makes a, an intelligent, a, a very intriguing observation, but he says, uh, for forever, astronomers assume that the shape of the universe is a sphere, because it is the most universal shape, and he, gives on, he goes on to give the, the laundry list why we... The scientists will tend to believe that the universe is this big sphere. But it says, if that were the case, he says, the observations don't match. Because when you do astronomical observations in different directions of space, as the Earth goes around the sun, uh, the stars and galaxies have movements. Some are moving away from the Earth. Some are moving in the direction of the Earth. That's the, what they call the redshift. When uh, a celestial body is moving away from the Earth, all the light coming from those bodies shifts to the red in the spectrum of light. And when you have a, a body that's coming in the direction of, of the solar system, all the, the light coming from those bodies shift to the blue, meaning that it's, it's, um, it's like the it's like the light version of the Doppler effect that you have in radar and that you have in sound energy. Uh, so he says that when you map out all of these things out in space, you don't get the shape of a sphere. You get a shape similar to the horse's saddle. Have you ever noticed when you look at a horse's saddle, it is a plane, it is a flat surface that has two curvatures. It curves from back to front. And it curves from side to side. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination muscle a bit and imagine you're standing inside an inner tube. You know, an inner tube big enough that you can stand in. Whichever direction that you look, toward the center of the inner tube, to the top, to the sides, if you take a slice out of any surface, you have two curvatures. It curves from front to back and it curves from side to side. And he's, he gives graphics in the book showing how the layout of all the galaxies known, of all, everything observed, is laid out like that, like the, the surface of a saddle with two curvatures. And that's only possible when you're inside what? A toroidal field. <laughs> so, yeah, 
the universe is not going to disappear forever. It's just constantly rebuilding itself. So you're you're so, suggesting that our reality is within the internal donut hole. We're in the donut hole. Correct. Well, that makes um, sense. Eventually, well, eventually, you know, whatever whatever is observed will go in one vortex and come out the other. And of course, to the uh, standard astrophysics, you know, that vortex where things go in is considered a black, a massive black hole because that's where stuff is being pulled in. And when it's coming out the other end, it's a massive white hole because it keeps pouring out all this matter and energy. And like this universe, that's why they're. This is not the only toroidal field. There's a multitude of them, and that's why there are civilizations out there that know how to jump from one to another. Mostly it's done at the spiritual level because it's so easy. At the material level, I don't know. That must take quite a bit of energy. Well, I mean, it, I, had that, I had that with a gentleman uh, who wrote to me from... He's living in Thailand, and he, at the time when I was still doing shamanic journeys... And he wanted me to make something for him. And it was a curious thing because normally, as I've explained to you in the past, I would meet people's guides either in the upper world or lately I was seeing them in ships in orbit. But in this case, it was really strange because it was like I'm standing, like imagine that you're in the middle of a desert, like the Sahara Desert. All you see is this vast expanse out to the horizon. And there was these... Um, Imagine that you have like a, there's a membrane, like a huge piece of glass standing vertical, and and there's three of them, one after the other, huge pieces, transparent material, and then I see three figures coming toward me, and they have to cross these three uh, membranes, and the interesting thing is that at first they didn't look human at all, and then they cross one membrane next, and they started looking more humanoid. So as they pass these membranes, they finally look like three three men. And, I, and I'm asking them, why is, I don't understand, why am I looking at this? Why do you look so different from all other guys I've seen? And then he explained that they were coming from another universe. And this was my second encounter with an entity from another universe. Because uh, the first time was guiding a gentleman um, on this 15-step process, which is similar to this other thing that everyone's talking about, the quantum healing hypnosis thing. Um, he had an entity um, in the house. And all, well, all this entity wanted is his energy back. Some of this, the entity's energy was inside this gentleman. So once they did an energy exchange, the entity just left and left him alone. But it, it didn't come from the past, it didn't come from the future, it didn't come from a parallel reality, it didn't come from <laughs> uh, another planet. It, it just came from another It came from another universe. And in fact, um, I don't know if I still have it in Facebook, I did have it in my list of photos. Uh, he had a bonfire in his house, and someone took a picture of the flames, and to one side of the flames, there's a humanoid face. It's not Photoshop. It's not photo manipulation. It's it's a face, and that that was it. That was the entity that was in the house there that kept circling around him. So, sounds like it was an interesting show. So, what was the end point of of all the presentation? What was the last? 
the what was the moral uh, of the story? Oh well, <laughs> it it got more convoluted as as it went on. That was just how they kind of opened it. Um, uh-huh. What she said was that okay, so there was a destruction of the universe, but the prime directive to the core matrix is that you always recreate but you can't all you can't recreate recreate it i exactly okay because you've got a different energy situation now that it sort of disappeared then she went into the concept that we in this oh gosh i guess you'd call it dimension on a timeline, there was a nuclear holocaust, and and we are all dead. On that particular timeline, but the core matrix has been told to rebuild. So if it rebuilds and it rebuilds exactly the way it was, then you are going to have the same outcome. Nuclear war. So apparently, adjustments are made when they make the new one. But the overall amount of energy that was expelled during the nuclear confrontation has got to be addressed. This change of energy, somehow or another, you have to change the energy that went into creating a nuclear holocaust into something that's not a nuclear holocaust. And the reason that she got into that was that Whitley was saying, he was he was telling that, he was asking her, why in the last week, which would have been, uh, well, I think he does these a week before, so last week, why is it that um, there's so many asteroids that have suddenly almost hit us, but weren't told until they went by us? And that's how she got into that. She said, and so I don't know if they're going to hit us with a with a an asteroid to get rid of some of the energy, but that's when she started talking about this change of because of the nuclear holocaust thing. And she said hurricanes and tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanoes, these are put into play in the new reality in order to convert that nuclear energy into something you know that is not such a destructive force. Well. I agree on the part that she's talking about. I know it's a it's a difficult concept to explain. I, I agree with you that unless you're focusing 200%, it's kind of difficult to grab it and tell it again. But she's essentially describing something that's called balancing the equation. You have to, you know, in in, in math and and when you see algebra in school and you're given a series of expressions to the left of the equal sign. And you, at the right of the equal sign, you have other expressions, and they have to be the same because the equal sign is what's calling the shots. So whatever is on the left has to be equal to the right, no matter how different they look. And you have, always have to find ways to balance the equation. That's essentially what she's describing. But I don't know if she left this part out. That balancing of the equation is not an absolute That's where that witnessing thing comes in that's so critical. You know, you know how you're always talk about the witnessing effect? Yes. If if you are not paying attention, if you're asleep, if you're not witnessing what's going on, if you're not seeing the play of the energies, 
if you're not awake and aware, then yes, you have to relive that thing because you never got the point. But if you do get the point and you see what the heck's going on, then you don't have to. It's like the, a lot of people, this is my argument with people that are into metaphysics, when the subject of karma comes up. Oh, I have this karma that because I had this life where I beat somebody with a stick in this life, somebody's going to have to come out and beat me with a stick in order to balance that experience. No. If you are asleep and unaware and you're not learning what you're supposed to be learning, yes, somebody, that equation will balance itself. I mean, somebody will come with a stick and beat you over the head. But if you're awake to what you're doing, how you're acting, how you're thinking, what the things that you're saying, and you wake up to all of that stuff, then you just bypass the stick. There's no need for someone to beat you with a stick. You got it. You got the point. So that balancing of the equation is not an absolute. Does it happen? Yes, of course it happens. But that it is contingent on this witnessing thing. That's why you keep finding it over and over again. It's so important. <laughs> Being awake, being aware, uh, realizing what you're seeing, understanding what you're seeing, that changes the equation. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't need to play out because we, we got it. We got the point. Well, she takes it even further, Walt, okay? Because she did get into talking about... Uh, she used an example. Um, she, she, the reason that she hasn't been very active is because... She almost died, and I mean, she, she seriously almost died. And what she did was she reached out to her thousands of followers and said, you know, I, I'm in a terrible situation, and she asked for their assistance. She felt that she was under attack, that they were trying to take her down. This It's very deep and dark, and she never really wanted to get too far into it. When she would be talking on her... Facebook pages, um, I never saw it on her website, but she was never talking about how attacked she felt and that she was being targeted and that she was in trouble, but she would with Whitley. So if you were listening to Whitley and her, she that's where she opened up was to him, how bad things really were. But what happened was that when she finally opened up to her own followers, suddenly there were so many people focused on protecting her that everything started turning around so she was telling him Whitley if talk to the people tell the people what what's happening because it is not a uh, all of this this reality building is not because um, we got uh, 530 Christians doing it, and we got you know seven hundred Democrats doing it, and we've got these uh, people from Cuba doing it. It's none of that. There is no division. It's the human race. And again, a theme that we've been you know discussing that the human race together is the collective. It's what we decide is going to be reality, and she's she's c completely confirming this now. Last week, we also talked about how um, Grant Cameron was talking about higher-ups saying that if you want to understand the ET or UFO situation, you have to understand ESP. And she didn't wasn't talking that way, but she was, all again, relating the concept of it's all in the mind. 
it's what what what's in the mind that is is manipulating the universe and that when we come together as a group and do it it works but even if we're all separate but we're all focusing sort of on the same thing that's when it sort of works she goes into um Oh, let me see. I did that. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So, and and the, and the Grant was talking about the fact that in the human brain, they have scientifically been able, medically been able to see this, that abductees have a particular area of the brain that seems to have activity that is not found in most people. And they call it the antenna. It's like something in their brain that allows them, in a mental concept, to be in contact with extraterrestrial, extra, let's say, non-physical, who knows what it is. But it's something that connects us to to something else. And that abductees also have um, a, a different uh, genome on their DNA. You know, if you look at you, you were abducted. Let's look at your DNA, and they'll find this genome that other people don't have. Well, that's no secret. I mean, this man Corey Good has been speaking for how many months about all the different DNA experimentation programs that have been going on. One is five thousand years old, another one is ten thousand years old, another one is fifty thousand years old. So it's not like <laughs> it's something brand new. They've been doing this manipulation for the longest time. Right, but that's just sort of another point to what she was talking about, is that, because it goes back to what you said, you were saying that you have to be aware of the changes, otherwise you've missed the point, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this is this, this story, you got to listen to her tell the story. She was with some other friend of hers, and they were in a mall. Now, she knows that this particular area is susceptible to, um, let's say, timeline shifts that you can see, if, if you can understand that. Like in my yard, I get new bricks in the yard going out into the driveway. Kind of hard to miss. Nobody can explain those away. But she goes into um, this mall, and she, she said that this mall is really weird because it never quite looks the same. But while they were there... She and this friend of hers went through 20 minutes where they were watching the walls compress, the walls change, morphing physical all around them for 20 minutes. And she kept saying to the person she was with, don't separate, don't separate. Because if they were together, they were in, in almost like a, this is my interpretation. If they're staying together, then they've got an energy envelope around them, you know, of we're still kind of connected to that other yeah, time. It's, it, yeah, Ra refers to it as consensus reality. It's the reality of, it's the reality of, of uh, that we achieve by agreement. So they call it consensus reality. It's the reality that two or more people agree to. And that, that's your anchor. It's like, Four people sitting inside a car, wherever you go, it's going to be the same four people inside the same car. But if they take separate cards, <laughs> then that's a different story. 
So consensus yeah, agreement. I yes, that that would be exactly what what I think she was referencing because while they're going through and seeing all this stuff happening around them, um, an elevator opened up and people were walking out and they're not even it's still happening you know but they're not even seeing it because they were in a cognizant dissonance they couldn't see it now had two of them simultaneously looked at something or if these two over here had said can you see this moving around maybe they would have been aware enough to perceive it but there's nobody there pointing out don't you see this is happening so their minds are saying this can't possibly be happening and they don't see it well, they, that's one of the things, that's why uh, Dr. Costa of the Institute of Thought taught people how to synchronize their their brain hemispheres. And in fact, I have a graphic that uh, he would give out in the course, and what you do is you put it on the wall and you just look at it and let your eyes relax. You don't focus on anything in particular. And then after a minute or so, depending on how relaxed you are, all of a sudden, the graphic begins to shake and shiver. Lines appear and disappear. And he said, when you see that, then you know that both hemispheres are now synchronized. That's when you get to do your work, whatever it is that you're planning to do. Because now you have equal energy on both hemispheres. And and, and I, used to, I didn't know this, but I used to do this as a little kid. Because in Argentina, the, the tiles in the bathroom <laughs> were <laughs> these black tiles with this... Um, with uh, white edges, so it was like the inverse of a of a chessboard. And I remember that whenever I would have to go in the bathroom and I would sit and I would look at the floor, all of a sudden, after a few minutes, the whole floor was shaking and shivering. And I, and I thought, if I touch the floor, is it going to move or something? Because I couldn't help noticing that the floor was shaking and shivering. And it turns out that that's what happens when you... Your your hemispheres are synchronized, are working equally together. That's when you. I guess that's the best time to make uh, reality changes. So we either have to get a floor or his diagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I I know I have it in here in my in my folder with things. I I I never come across anybody who's interested, so I haven't shared the graphic. But uh, I'll I'll. I'll so I guess I'll, I can take a picture of it with a phone and post it in the next show. <laughs> well, send it to me because I'll put it on the promo for this show. <laughs> His suggestion was, this is the way he was, because he's, you know, he didn't mince words. He says, on in your bathroom, put it on the wall across from the toilet. So when you sit on the toilet, you're looking at it. And that way you'll have a, a better bowel movement because you're going to be totally relaxed as you're looking at this pattern. So that's what I did for three years. I had this thing on the wall of the, of the bathroom. <laughs> okay, okay, we got a new product now. We'll take that thing. We'll put it. We'll put it in uh, plastic, right? And we'll say it, we'll sell it for I don't know, maybe twenty twenty five dollars, and say this is this is the. And we will do it in Shungite, so we got some excuse to do it. Put this on your yeah. wall, and your your bowels will work. <laughs> You just have to stare at it. I love it. A-E-I-O-U. There. All your vowels are working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it's probably just as simple as that. Yeah. Well, did you ever see? I, I love the way that they captured that effect 
Um, I don't know. Not, the very first one is the best one, the butterfly effect. That film that was done with the actor Ashton Kutcher it is based yeah. uh, on a book. And it was so well done that he could go back in time um, spiritually, not, not a thing that it's not a physical thing. It's his mind. He could switch from the from the, whatever present he's in. He could sw- shift himself, his consciousness, his awareness, his witnessing. He could put himself back, let's say, when he was a child, when he was 10 years old. And he, because it's, it's the same person, the same consciousness. There's no violation of anything. And spirit doesn't occupy time or space. And what he did is, the way he, he did it is, all his life, ever since he was a little kid, he would keep a personal journal. So he had all these notebooks where he would journal everything that happened, good stuff and bad stuff. And what he would do is he would start reading the book and he would read a passage of something that something really bad that happened one time as a, as a kid. Like when he discovered that uh, his, his best friend was this little girl and to their chagrin one time they discovered that the guy was into pedophilia so he changed that. So he's looking at the notebook and he's reading the, the handwritten words. And all of a sudden you see the words shaking and shivering on the page. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, my God, that's exactly what it looks like. And your brain is synchronized. Everything starts shaking and shivering and phasing in and out. <laughs> I thought that was really neat how they, they captured that effect. Uh, I don't know who did it, but they got it right on. <laughs> so... I saw the movie, but remind me now, when he goes, because to me, it was etheric. It's just like remote viewing. You know, that's why sometimes I all of a sudden seem to have a tremendous amount of information about something that might have happened a long time ago in my life. It's because Mm -hmm. I've essentially etherically just gone back to that when it happened, and I'm relating what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling at that time. But I, I think of it as etheric. Um, well, I think it goes beyond the etheric. It has to go into the other, into the spiritual dimension. Well, I think the etheric is spiritual dimension. Uh, no, the etheric is like two dimensions below spiritual. Above etheric is astral, and above astral is spiritual. Yes, but, uh, okay. I agree with that, brain. but, but I mean, it's sort of like... The etheric is 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 part of my my being, okay. So it has to be attached to the spiritual. Because well, what happens is that they're not separate like steps on a ladder. Correct. Everything is synchronized and centered to a common center. So that's the part that you know many psychics have issues with labeling because because it was exactly that. It's all synchronized with a common center. So it's the it's not like the layers in an onion where you have one layer and on top of that you have another one that doesn't know it doesn't work that way. Everything is synchronized. Well, but it's it's kind there of are, it's, believe it or not there are li- there are physical limitations to the etheric. Oh yes, where, I know that. Where there are no physical limitations to the spiritual or the astral. Right, but the so fact they, that you have limitations doesn't negate the fact that it's still part of the spiritual experience. Right, I don't. It's, I don't it's think all you. There. I don't think you can work in the etheric if you don't have the spiritual energy framework to be able to work there. 
Yeah, that, that's why it, it, it all it, it all works in concert. It's like trying to separate parts of nature. You can't do that. Nature is is all in concert. It's all pure synchronicity. Every bit, every bit of nature is working with every other bit. Everything touches everything else. It's like the cells in your body. What would happen if your okay your liver cells decide to take a break? We're going to go on vacation for seven days. So for seven days, your liver is going to shut down. How long do you think you're going to survive? You know, if everybody has to work. <laughs> it's full cooperation. No. No, no, no competition, no fighting for resources. Everybody, all the cells are in perfect agreement and balance and harmony, hopefully, and everybody works together. So uh, a lot of, I think that's the intellectual pursuit of wanting to label stuff and separate stuff. And they go with the mind here and the mind, everything is the mind, mind, mind. Well, no, not exactly. It, it plays a role, but it's not the everything. Uh, but that's, you know, uh, it's pointless to separate the stuff because it all works together. In so many intricate ways. So in the in the butterfly effect, now, he could go back and he could make changes? Correct. But the, the problem, there's a consistent pattern throughout the film. He would go back to affect the change to spare his friend, to spare the little girl from a horrible experience. But then as when he works, so he goes ahead, he succeeds, makes the change. But then when he, come, when he comes back to the present, things are actually worse. <laughs> it's like he didn't fix anything. So he went back to fix something. He, he thought in his mind, uh, I made a mistake in something else. So he kept going and going. I mean, at one point in the film, the change that it made in the past was so horrible that when he came back to the present, uh, his, he had no arms. His arms ended at the elbow because he uh, somebody put one of these giant firecrackers in the in the mailbox. This thing looked like so big; it looked like half a stick of dynamite because they wanted to damage the mailbox because the mailbox looked like a doll's house, but. Uh, and the, the woman who opened, who went to get the mail was this pregnant woman. And she dies because of this explosion. So he goes back in time to stop this. And he ends up being the, affected by the explosion. So when he comes back to the present, he doesn't have any arms. The, the arms end at the elbow. He lost his, the, his arms. So he kept doing this at one point. He comes back to the present. He turns out he's in prison. Because of the change he made in the past, so every time he keeps going to make fixes and changes, everything seems to go from bad to worse. So the final, because he reached the end of the of those journals, the, I guess it was the most romantic ending you could give the film. The final change that actually fixed everything, his life and her life, was to break up with her as little kids, even though he loved her deeply and completely. He realized the only way that her life could go straight because as soon as he broke with her, she had the, her parents were divorced and she was living with her father, the pedophile. So when he broke up with her, the mom decided to take her to live with her. So they moved to another town and another school. And that way the vector of his life, her life, took on a different direction. So that was, that was the fix, to break up with her in the past as a little kid. 
to never see her ever again. And in her life, everything turned out perfectly. Um, he found her in the present. And he was very satisfied to see that you know, she was a beautiful, successful, happy woman. And that, that was it. So I, I think that it's a very well-written story, at least in my estimation. <laughs> and we believe fairly accurate. <laughs> I mean, don't you think? They, yeah, I don't like the remakes because the remakes just focused on on the drama and dramas. It, they're more focused on effects than actual content of the story. Well, you know, th this. Uh, well, first off, when I went up to uh, the north <laughs> to go to that uh, funeral, and I had such a terrible uh, trip with my family, you know. I mean, everybody was out to get me. I was crazy. I mean, it was like, wow, what, what is happening here? And even though I wasn't, I seriously was not emotionally responding to what was happening. I was really being in an observant role. Um, I kept playing it back in my head. And so then I'm realizing, well, every time I play this back, I reinforce it energetically because I'm focusing the energy on it. So exactly. I... So I uh, wanted to really stop this, you know. So I started putting in, um, okay, when it starts to come up, you know, boom, shut it down immediately. Don't don't analyze it, just, you know, do it. And I went along for uh, a couple of weeks and I was pretty good. But then all of a sudden, boom, it happened again. It looped and it got beyond me, you know, and it was like looping again. And now this time I'm going like, now wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this all about? You know, and I kept saying that. What's this all about? But then I maybe listened or whatever. But I had somebody talking about the different versions. Again, the multiple different versions we have of ourself. And I think what happened was that, for whatever reason or how, that they set me up in a reality that was those people weren't the people that I knew. I kept trying to figure out why would the people that I know do this? But then when I looked at it and said, are those the people that I know? Or are they versions of themselves that I wouldn't like anyway? And as soon as I got that perspective on what it actually transpired, boom, gone. No more looping. Now, the reason that, that I started looking at it that way was because of a discussion I heard someplace one of the shows concerning if they that if they can't get to you on a timeline because there's certain rules and regulations certain people you know you don't go after you can't whatever reasons I you know don't want to get into that but that they will go after your family and the friends and the people that you love and that's what made me start thinking about that, you know? And I'm going like, mm, wait a minute. If if they can go after my, my people here on this timeline, then I suppose I could get thrown into another timeline where the wrong people are. And I think that's what happened. And as soon as I really focused on it, I said, yeah, the energies, none of the energies are right. So it's um, it was just something that happened to me. And again, this continual, every time I turn around, there's another mention of 
you know, timelines of the collective of. Uh, yeah, another technique that you that was really smart the way you handled it. Um, you had another avenue of do, dealing with it was uh, through rescripting because memories. I don't I don't care how perfect you think your memory is; it's never a hundred percent accurate. There are nuances and things that are not captured precisely. So, yes, we remember an event or some conversation that happened, but do we really remember an event or some conversation that happened? Like many times we remember uh, a, a film and we are sure that it happened this way and then you play it again and it's a totally different film. So one of the things that... Uh, Another technique that you could have availed yourself of to deal with the energy of that encounter was to rescript it. Like, for example, there, when you were sitting by yourself, on, you were sitting at the end of the table and this guy made it his business to go sit in front of you and essentially make fun of you because he said, oh, maybe I should get one of Nancy's rocks. Remember that conversation that you told? Yes, absolutely. My cousin. <laughs> yeah, well, you could have actually rescripted that. Go back to the conversation, but change his behavior or change the words that he used. And you make the conversation come out the way you want it, or you would the, the way that would be better for both of you. And then that changes the energy, believe it or not. It diffuses whatever it was before, because that's all it is. It's a, like you said, you use the word loop. It's what it is. It's stuck energy. It's stuck in a loop, like an extract tape. Remember the extract tapes? If you left them running, they never stop. Because the beginning is connected to the end. <laughs> it's like an egg-trap tape. And that's exactly what you encountered, you know, uh, ways to bring people down. Because I experienced for two whole days I was under psychic attack because you know that I'm dowsing numbers for different things from the Lloyd Meir uh, system of energy balancing with um, through the numbers. So I got so many clues and insights from Anelia's last book that I, I asked. Um, that was one of the agreements that we made during the times of Atlantis to make the mind accessible. And I got a clue from Anelia's book, and I thought, okay, is it to my benefit to make the mind impregnable and immune to all forms of mind control? And I got yes. And I said, can I get the number now? Yes. Is it to my benefit to install this? Yes. So I got it. It's a huge, like, 24-digit long number. And it was, for three whole days, it was amazing to be able to do all the things you need to do. And it's like you're inside a, a library that's closed. You're just the only one there. <laughs> no noise, no disturbing anything. you just by yourself enjoying the peace and quiet. I mean, it was even more peaceful and much enjoy much more enjoyable. Uh, remember that time when uh, they showed me the uh, false mind overlay, and I had to do a shamanic journey to get that to get rid of that. Right. That was peaceful afterwards, but still there was uh, every now and then the same old noise coming in, like you said, you know, looping memories and crap like that. So once I installed this number, it was amazing. Uh, it's, it was so quiet, and I only needed to engage the mind every time I needed to do something like calculate something. I really didn't have to revisit anything. And then I, after like three, four days, I realized oh, I'm seeing all these things playing, and I'm thinking, 
I check with my pendulum. Is the number still installed? Yes. So then I start asking questions because the, the stuff that was looping in my head was really old stuff. And I'm thinking, what the heck is this? Where is this coming from? This makes no sense. And then I forgot to ask. I, I made the conscious mind impenetrable, but not the mind of the low soul, the soul of the body. And I said, is that impenetrable? No. Is that where the psychic attack is coming from? Yes. <laughs> so I had to douse for a second number to make the mind of the low soul, what we call the subconscious, impenetrable and immune to all forms of mind control. So that closed that back door. Once that was done, that's it. It stopped. And whatever what that attack was, I just sent it back to whoever was kind enough to attack me because by attacking me, he showed me where I had a weakness. So, you know, what was it? What was the, that old saying? Whatever doesn't destroy you just pisses the hell out of you. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. Not exactly. I know. Whatever but if it doesn't, doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. But I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the system doesn't like people unplugging from it, I guess. Otherwise, I wouldn't have invited that attack. Well, I find it very fascinating that what did what did you get out of it? I mean, like, what do you think the message was to you about the subconscious that it's 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 independent of itself that you have to pay attention well, to these, these uh, low uh, level uh, energies. The purpose of the mind is the interface between the physical and the unphysical, so to speak. It's the interface. It's the same way that you, like when you interface with a computer, what's your interface to the computer? The keyboard, the mouse, and the screen. If the computer had no keyboard and had no mouse and had no screen, it would still have software in it and it would still run, but there's no way to get to it. So we need that interface. There has to be a way for the consciousness, you know, the soul and the spirit to interface with the physical. And as you know, spirit, soul, the pure consciousness does not exist in time and space. They exist outside of time and space, whereas the body is existing in time and space. So how do we connect these two completely unrelated things? How do we get the oil to mix with the water? Well, you use an, an, an emulsifier. <laughs> in the case of water and oil, you have to use an emulsifier so that the two things will mix. This is where the mind comes in. It's that interface. It is an organ. It is an astral organ, and it's what allows us to come in to these fantastic, you know, amazing machines, you know, the best creation in the universe, and to be able to use them and, and experience through them. Because this is how, if anybody ever wonder, okay, why does God create life and blah, 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 well, think about it. Uh, let's say you were a painter and you paint these amazing paintings. You can witness the paintings and you can enjoy them and you can see them, but you're not part of them. And you love your painting so much, you want to enjoy it completely. You want to be a part of the painting. So what do you do? Well, you get born into the painting. You come into incarnation. That's how God or the Creator experiences what it created, by being a part of it. So that's that's the role of the mind. It's just an interface device. It's not meant to rule our life. And unfortunately, it's been manipulated to death. So now everybody's ruled by the thoughts that go through their head. And that's why Anastasia keeps repeating herself, own your thoughts. 
own your thoughts, own your mind. So don't be playing the scripts in there that somebody else put there. And heavens to Betsy, everybody has their minds plugged into their phones now. <laughs> another thing, another lovely thing to deal with. Huh? <laughs> it, it's just, it's fascinating. I mean, I don't know, maybe there's people out there that are listening to us bored out of their minds. Um, Good. But you, you know what James Watts said about that? No. When you lose your mind, you come to your senses. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, probably that's it. But the thing of it is, is that part of what, what, what I think we do is that, because I've watched this too, is we we keep repeating basically the same information more information newer stuff but 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 our our basic message is always the same you know you got to know yourself before you can know the universe uh take dominion you know don't blame anybody for anything if your life's not right it's cuz you're the one that has got it wrong figure out what you're doing you know i mean all the same sort of you know comp- continually rep- repetition but because we're doing that, we're also re- re- seeing it in the subconscious of the human beings. The collective consciousness feeds their subconscious. And from that point, a lot of the information that gets out there, they just start, it starts bleeding through. And, you know, when we come back, maybe we'll talk a little bit about more about that reverse uh, speech thing. Because we talked oh. about it two two weeks ago. And then I, I, it just so happens that um, uh, Ken Baker had a, a, a show on it. And um, so we'll cover that when we come back because we are at the top of the hour. Um, Colleen, are you there? And are you going to push the B2 on the AIMP s- slot so that we can hear the music? Can hear the music. Well, I am here. And I, I do have music up. And... I'm going to push some kind of B-somethings. Be, be <laughs> so we'll be back in maybe about five minutes. Let me take a moment to say thank you to the lovely people who make distribution of this podcast possible. Mysticalwares.com in Mount Vernon, Washington. Dedicated to exploring both the known and the unknown, then helping provide the products and tools to expand your reach. Mysticalwares, Mount Vernon, Washington. If you are experiencing spiritual stasis, head to Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, because it is a metaphysical oasis. And they are actually lovely people, and they really do have a huge inventory. So get yourselves up there, and if you don't want to drive all the way, go ahead and visit them on their .com. I am Ani, mad as the day is long, Abadician. Stand up and claim your sovereignty. We are divine beings, not disposable commodities. Don't drink cheap booze. Remain alert and amused, but above all, my darlings, let the spirit inhabit the human. And you are back. Awesome. Thank you so very much. This is the Cosmic Reality Radio Show. It's June 26, 2018. My name is Nancy Hopkins. Colleen Kelly from Haggy Shack Radio is producing, and Walt Silva is here with me. And, um, Walt, you back, yes? Yes. I was muted. Okay, good to know. Yeah, um, people don't need to hear my bodily functions. 
<laughs> Listen, um, I had Derek on the Shungite show earlier today, mm. and you apparently you got some of the new honey from the new the seasons honey. Oh yeah, that's like having a whole mentholiptus in your mouth. That's pure ment, a mere eucalyptus. Well. I had no clue what it was. I, 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 it seemed familiar to me, but I knew it had never been in my mouth before. <laughs> and so I said it tasted like soap because some soap has eucalyptus in it. But how yeah. the, how the, how did you know that that's what it was? Because all of us had ideas of what it could be, but you were the one that knew. Well, the, the taste is indistinguishable from eucalyptus. I mean, haven't you ever bought a... I know that you don't leave the house, but in all your years, you've never bought a whole mentholiptus, you know, like when you have a cold or something and or a sore throat. Those I, things are ancient. I know, but it doesn't taste like this. But what happened What happened was that <laughs> when, he, when he said it to me, um, I went at the halfway point. I very often will go get a little bit of honey to... You know, kind of keep going, and mm-hmm. so. But he had just told me about the eucalyptus connection, and I went and I got it in my mouth, and I went, "Oh my God, he's right!" It was like, "Oh yeah," but it was just. And then he he said he said that he and Ma- I don't know if he told you this. He and Maureen, when you said that, thought, "Well, there's no eucalyptus around here," and then they went out walking and they found a whole bunch of eucalyptus trees. Oh. What well, I'm not a botanist by any stretch of the imagination, so I don't know if it's a if the eucalyptus is a flowering tree. I, all I know about the eucalyptus is that it's a it's a tree that belongs in desert terrain because it has a tremendous uh, root system that goes straight down, looking for water wherever it can find it. That's why you see it like um, Mendoza, where I come from. It's desert, mountain desert like um, California. And it's very common to find eucalyptus everywhere. Uh, that's why you see so many species of it in uh, Australia. They have such huge deserts there. Uh, but I'm not aware of it being a flowering tree. I guess it must produce flowers at some point in its life. Uh, because obviously the... Uh, oh! My, the, here's my ignorance kicking in. I, I just remember seeing a video where they show that uh, trees produce pollen even though they they don't have flowers. Like there's a, a video that was running around YouTube where there's this, this guy, that's, he's driving a, a backhoe or a plow or something, and he approaches a tree and bumps it with a machine, and all of a sudden the tree produces this huge cloud. It looks like smoke, and it's all the uh, pollen coming off of the tree. And yet when you look at the image, you see the tree branches, leaves, but I don't see any flowers, so I don't know. Um, do Are there trees where the leaves themselves produce some kind of pollen? Well, you, might, my, you uh, might not recognize uh, it as a flower. Oh, okay. Because okay. I, I, I've seen, you know, trees where you, it, it's like, it, it's just, oh, um, okay, there's a, there's a palm out here. It's called the Queen Anne, I think it is. And it just, it doesn't have any flowers per se, but it grows these sort of like little shoots out that have all this seeds on it, and they just drop the seeds. Yeah. 
So I know of that. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, but the the thing that I find so very interesting in that is that the manuka honey, the stuff that's supposed to be the top of the line, comes uh. from New Zealand. And the reason that they are finding all the nutrition and everything in it is because of the eucalyptus in that area. Now, of course, oh. it might be a different eucalyptus than what he's got there, but the fact that eucalyptus is all of a sudden, you know, right there with the Shungite beehive just <laughs> tickled me. Yeah, and I, I was also surprised. I, I thought, you know, growing up in Mendoza, we would see eucalyptus trees, and I would think, okay, eucalyptus tree, fine. But I discovered that there's something close to like a hundred species of it because I was seeing a documentary on uh, koala bears, and it turns out that even though that's part of their staple diet, eucalyptus leaves, they do not eat all the spe- species of eucalyptus. There are some eucalyptus they do not touch. Even if you offer it to them, they won't eat it. So that's when I found out, oh, look at that. There's different variants on the eucalyptus tree. So that was really interesting. Well, I I put, because of what happened to, during the storm and stuff, I decided, and the bees and everything, I decided I would just throw natural uh, Florida wild wildflower flower seeds um, into the area that had been all completely dug up because of what happened. And so I did. And then pretty soon all of this stuff started coming up and I'm going like, oh, really cool. And so I go to look for the thing that says what it is and I can't find it. And the website now doesn't, doesn't you know, offer it anymore. So I go to uh-huh. a Florida book on wildflowers and I'm looking at him, I'm going, I'm getting confused. So then I go to the Internet. Oh, my God, there are so many versions of something that looks exactly the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue what's in my yard. It must be fascinating to be, you know, study botany and all the variants of, of plants. It must be, like, never-ending. Well, Sandy's really good at that. Um, she's studied, well, she, 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 she basically, um, focused on nature, natural, uh, Florida plants because we both have large acres of land. And so she was purposely bringing in the indigenous plants into the area. But then Mm -hmm. they went up to, uh, Butterfly World, (laughs) her and her husband. Um, and they go up to Butterfly World and they get, some uh, pupa, the kind, the, the, you know, the cocoon thing. Of, again, local Florida bees, uh, butterflies, and brings them into the yard. So now they start focusing on the fact that you have to have food for the babies, okay? Because when they lay their eggs, they lay it on the, the plant that the babies are going to eat, so okay, so you have to have that that plant for the babies of that butterfly. Okay, and as far wow. as and as far as the butterflies, what they're getting is basically the nectar off of certain plants. So you have to have the adult plant there in order to have the right kind of nutritional value for the adults. They don't eat. They don't. Well, they won't. They're not going to eat the plant. They're just taking in, you know, doing what Anastasi said, probably, you know, eating as they breathe. 
Well, the thing is that the butterflies, they have that uh, coiled tongue. They take uh, uh, nectar from the, from flowers. Right. Have you seen the pictures of it? They, it looks oh, like yeah. a wound-up coil, and they stretch it out, and they take the, they, I guess they siphon off the nectar from that gather inside flowers. They don't have any mandibles to eat. <laughs> like when they were caterpillars, caterpillars, you know, they would go through an entire tree. Uh, butterflies don't have that that equipment. <laughs> Talking about the butterfly effect again. Well, <laughs> over the years, what I have noticed is that after a big storm where it does so much damage, nature kind of kicks back and goes into overdrive. Now, there'll be an, an initial dearth of, of pollen and everything else, but then it kind of like, when it starts to happen, it's more than what is typical of it. And i got to tell you, I've got a bush outside. It's a fire bush. It's called a fire bush. It's got these beautiful little red flowers on it. I know it was before 2012. All of a sudden, they started to burn. I mean, that's the only way I can explain it. It looked like the, the plant, and these were bit, these were big bushes, not trees, bushes, beautiful. And they started to burn. Now, it is one of the um, primary sources in this area for nectar and, and pollen for, for the, um, for the um, zebra butterfly, which is indigenous here. And uh, so others too, but that's the big, big population is in the zebra and they're black and white they're really pretty so i said i talked to peter and peter said well you know the sun is getting hotter because i'm having plants he's a horticulturist i'm having plants that are burning when they shouldn't be and it's the sun and he told me that you know long before there was any real questions about what was happening with the sun so eventually all of the fire bushes died they kind of like burnt up, shriveled up, and died. And then I started seeing babies come up where the adults had been. And I started watching them for burning. I figured they're going to burn too, but they didn't. And now I have a tree out there that is absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, with probably thousands of blooms on it. And so every time I look out my kitchen window... I see this with all these butterflies, you know, a dozen or so butterflies just flitting around it. Another indication that, you know, nature is coming back. Yeah, but, I'm, but, yeah, yeah, you know what they, um, this thing they say, ask Peter, maybe he's seen this as well, you know, the, that Shanghai protects against radiation and actually, you know, heals people that have been exposed to radiation. I think it does the same thing. For vegetation, because in years past, I had the the yellowing of the leaves in the uh, in my ash tree, which is out front. And I remember telling you about it, and you told me about the the problem of the sun being too strong and affecting the the trees. And this year, when I watered the front lawn, I got one of those uh, sprayer mixers that they sell at the you know, home the home supply stores, and it's one that you can put either liquid fertilizer or powder fertilizer, solid or liquid, 
And instead of putting any fertilizer, I just put the Shanghai powder, and I sprayed that all over the front lawn. And uh, one of the things is that the this year the ash tree has nothing. It has, none of the leaves are sick. None of them are getting yellow. None of them show distortions. I've never seen it this healthy, and we've been living here 12 years. And I don't put stuff. I don't put down anything. I don't put on any chemistry on the ground. It's just the, the ducks and the geese that come and, <laughs> and fertilize. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, on the show today with Derek in the second hour, we went over to his website, shungitebeehives.com and also shungitehoney.com, and he has articles under the research tab. One of those was regarding, now I had no, I, I, I know that they were using it in chicken feed and in uh, poultry feed, but now they've gone to cows. Oh. And they found that the milk in cows is, virtually all the time has some kind of infection stuff in it, you know, crap that you don't want. That's one of the reasons they make them pasteurize it. But when they've been on the shungite powder, they don't have any, the, the milk is pure. Yeah. And that's a, that's a scientific, we didn't do this. This was done by, you know, other people. And it's, and it's on, his, on his website. He has a lot of really, really interesting articles. Some of them so scientific that, you know, even you might be... be you need a PhD to be able to read it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know? But, um, yeah, the powder is... Well, and plus the fact that I do have a lot of shungite around here. But I just think that... Let me put it to you this way. The more... See, when you're looking at, uh, let's say thought warfare for lack of another concept okay we think in terms of the bees being at this point virtually more important than we are because if we lose them that's an indication that we've lost the battle we've lost them all and once we got to that point oh yeah transhumanism piece of cake you know things are going to be so bad that people will just give up everything so what we think of them with a tremendous amount of respect and appreciation and gratitude and all the things that go into realizing what a special and unique gift nature has given us in the form of a bee. Never mind all the other insects that if you look at them individually, they're going to have an important you know, piece of the puzzle. It's all needed. They're all needed. So if you look at it from our standpoint, we're putting a lot of energy into this and there's very few of us the thing we got going for us is that most people don't realize that it's important at all so they're not fighting us they're not putting out all of this voodoo on us that we're crazy that this is a nothing thing what's the matter with you all this negative thought that builds around something they're ignoring the situation so i think that we are seeing a turnaround in the bee population and the the insect population and the plant environment because just a few of us are so focused on it without the other dots paying any attention to it. Because I do see changes in my yard. The bees are not... I I do believe that the rats got the bees because I see no activity where they had been. Um... 
you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. I don't have the problem anymore, but nor did I have the bees. And I wasn't seeing the bees. Um, now, did you did they disappear after the the whole hurricane thing, or was there a, a sign of there being present after oh, no, the hurricane? After the hurricane, when we were working on the roof, all of a sudden one of the guys yelled bees and started backing up. And so, I mean, long story short, what he was what was happening was that under the roof in the under the roof, it's a, it's a roof that was there, and I had a second one put on top of it. So there was space between these two roofs. And in there, they had harbored from the storm. And there was, mm-hmm. a, there was a lot of activity in that area. You know, they were, they were docile. There was no aggression. They were, they were Shungite bees. I mean, they'd been living in Shungite for their entire generations of it, you know, at least four years back. So they were very, very docile. But um, then I got rats up there, or at least I assumed that's what it was. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, we got, you know, they're taking the honey out. So, which is not, it's not a good thing for the bees, but on the other side of it, it's a good thing for me. And all they needed to do was to get out of there with enough of a hive strength and hopefully a queen um, to start another hive. But... Did you get a chance to see a swarm fly off or anything no, like that? No, 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 I did not. Um, <clears throat> so I'm watching for the bees to come back, and I, I'm letting things grow. Um, this particular vine, it's called a coral vine. It's not indigenous to Florida, but the bees love it. And it's a fast grower, and it puts out blossoms continually, continually. So I let that go. It's actually covered up the... We've got a little screen room out there, and it's almost all completely covered up with this stuff. It's like you go inside, and you're like in a a vine covered room. It's kind of neat. Oh. Um. And so I, they were right Sounds there. Like you could make a, a gazette out of it if, you, if well, you just put up the the structure for it. The the vine would create a gazebo out of the structure. Well, so that's exactly what happened. Yourself. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I mean that that's exactly what happened. But anyway, so but the I can just walk out the door and see is there any bee activity? You know? And there one two nothing not not really. So then we have the swarm. There was a swarm of bees in at Derek's place on the 23rd, Saturday. I saw the film. It looked like a cloud of bees. Wasn't it amazing? Mhm. That was, I don't know if you, because you you say you're not energy sensitive, but um, when I was watching that film, I realized that it was much grander than a simple swarm. Uh, I, and I watched it a few times because I'm going like, what what's happening? on What, what uh, am I did seeing? You know, did you notice that it wasn't, uh, one of the, the things that got my attention was, it was not chaotic at all, because as you're as you're looking through the, uh, at least this is the image that the camera captured. I take it that she filmed with her uh, with her smartphone, and she's pointing it at one point. She's pointing it to the sky, so you see this upward angle, and looking at the swarm, and obviously because of distance, you see bees flying near the camera and then bees farther off in the distance. 
And the one thing that got my attention is that it wasn't chaotic at all. On the surface, it looks chaotic, but if you look, for example, the bees closer to the camera tended to fly in a, speci- in a specific direction or a pattern. And then those farther away went in another direction, and those farther away were going in another direction. So it was like they were organized. They were flying in a specific pattern. It wasn't chaotic at all, at least not to my perception of it. I don't know if you felt anything like that. I love the I love the way that you explained it because you saw it that way, you visually saw what was happening. I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling this this very intense energy, and I'm being drawn. You know, like your your, your thing with the thing put, looking at it, and you you start to get the fuzziness thing. You know, I'm uh-huh. being drawn into the event. I I was essentially every time I would see the the video. I was there with Maureen right there while it was happening. It was it was just an incredible anchor and I knew that that you only get these kind of things when amazing energy is happening. So and it was way beyond the swarm. I mean it was something more than just seeing a swarm. So and the other thing is if you notice she was virtually in the swarm. She was yeah. you know I mean they, they were coming around her. And no aggression. Now, the, so people understand the these bees that went on Saturday. He had bought in California. When they got to him, they were very sick bees. There were three what's called nooks. They started the hives. Within three weeks, all of the sickness was gone. In fact, that's never heard of because and there was no chemicals. He never uses chemicals. The only thing that was there was three shungite nuggets on each of the hives. And in three weeks, they went from extremely aggressive bees. He said that when he'd open up the top of the hive, a hundred of these bees would come out at him, just flying right at him to sting him. You know, and that within three weeks, you open up the top and they're all just sitting there. No aggression whatsoever. They don't use suits. They don't use gloves. They don't use smoke. And neither of them, Maureen nor uh, Derek, has been bitten since they went through this transition. Because now they're healthy Shungite bees. So you've got special bees that are flying out, you know, to begin with. These are really, really magical bees, Shungite magic. And, um, but so, so, but I kept getting drawn into this, and so by, by the third time that I'm watching it, I just sort of like let, let go and, and, and did a remote on this, and you know when you're looking at the picture, you can't focus on on a bee that it disappears because there's so much activity right. around it, you know. So, right. it's but like a cloud. <laughs> right, but when you're in the etheric, you can stop time and and you know slow it down and stuff. So I focused on one bee and you know brought the time down so that I could see what was happening to this bee, and then just follow the bee as it went through a vortex. And then I started realizing that there were more bees behind the one I just watched go through this vortex, but more incredible, there were other vortexes. And what I saw, what, 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 you know, the download I get of my interpretation of what I'm seeing is that these bees were not just going into Washington State. They were going someplace else. And it was almost like each of these vortexes was a, a destination point for someplace else. 
and I wasn't sure where they were going. All I could see was what I was was seeing. That but this, wherever they go, they need the queen with them because without a queen, you, there is no hive. So was this a swarm of multiple queens? No, I, all I all I was focused on was the, basically the drones there and, and some workers, but the males. So, but what? You, what but if you have got a queen, who's going to screw the queen? The male. So they could go anywhere and put their genetics in the queen, anywhere. Mm. And I'm going to tell you, within 48 hours, I saw a whole bunch of bees out there that were not there before. And I got out the camera and I started taking the pictures and stuff, and the camera was just, I couldn't get a decent picture. But those bees looked just like the one at Derek's house. Oh, I think something incredibly magical. I mean, this is sci-fi reality, boys and girls. We can make up any story we want. Because if we make it up, we're witnessing it. And who knows? Maybe it's true. Well, why why should it be impossible? I remember reading the... the, um, uh, It's a great article from some... I forget in what decade this uh, Russian experimenter made this flying platform. He could actually, he would stand on it and he would just make it fly. And, and the magic of the platform was that it, the reason it flew is because it vibrated on the surface underneath the platform. Had these wings from ladybugs, I think it's, because if you look under a microscope, the underside of the wings of ladybugs looks like the, these three-sided pyramids. And what he discovered in his study of this is that ladybugs really don't fly. They generate uh, anti-gravity. That's why they're able to pick up, because when you study the body of a ladybug, it is the most anti-aerodynamic body you could think of. So how is this thing flying? It's really not designed for flight. And it turns out that if you discover one, the ladybug vibrates the wings because of the structure that's on the underside of the surface of the wing, um, on the down-facing face of the wing, it literally creates anti-gravity. So it doesn't fly, it actually floats, and it can control the direction of its floating, I guess. And that's what he did, and that's how he got this platform to float. <laughs> so, how so many How many lady, it, ladybugs? It, I don't I have no idea. It must have been hundreds and hundreds that he must have sacrificed to do this thing. It's a, it's a tiny platform. It looks like it's a foot square. And it has this T handle, and he stood on it. Uh, but I mean, if ladybugs can create anti-gravity, why can't bees, you know, uh, vortex themselves to wherever they want to go? Well, my understanding must, is that the bee is aerodynamically impossible to fly. Yeah, that's true. It, it, its body doesn't lend itself for a very elegant uh, aerodynamics. It's not, it's not like the body of a seagull that can stay in the air for hours. <laughs> Well, I think it's the same uh, the same principle I had read about uh, dragonflies. The dragonfly actually the lift is created by vibration, not because it's it's gathering air under the wings. Because you notice that dragonflies have two pairs of wings, and if you pay attention to them when they're flapping, they flap in opposite directions. When one wing is going up, the other one's going down. So they're they're it's they're uh, going in opposite directions, creating a balance. 
So that's what's lifting the body of the dragonfly, that you're creating this condition of null, null weight. Because one is going up, one is going down, so they're negating each other. And again, it's like a, almost like an anti-gravity kind of effect, but with vibration, as opposed to some specific type of surface. So if they're so sophisticated to be able to do these things, why can't a bee just transport itself halfway across the continent or across the entire continent? <laughs> it would explain how bees appear out of nowhere. It's not like, because have you ever known anybody to be able to track a swarm? Oh, the swarm began here, and we, an hour later they were over here, and another later they were over here, and another hour later they were over No, nobody's, to my knowledge... I don't know if anybody has set out to track a swarm, but once it disappears, it disappears. No, they then, can they can track oh. it for some distance. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it, it it swarms and it's got the ball. Like, uh, and the only reason I know this is that um, at one point Derek was saying that well, some of his swarms have ended up in other beehive people in their in their oh. yards. You know, so uh-huh. yeah, you know, I mean, and he knows that the the swarm. Okay, we saw the swarm going everywhere, okay? I mean, it was just like, shoo. But in 3D, the let's say the um, the storyline is that they went to an apple tree, and then, the, then you know, a few hours later, I don't know if it was the next day or whatever, but um, then, then they flew out someplace else. So, again, for a limited time, they knew that they had gone to the apple tree, which kind of... I, I never asked Derek if when that happens... If it's just one queen flying out, or if it's multiple queens flying out, I, I don't. He's the, he's the bee expert. I think it's only one because when when they get when they get into a point where they've got a, more bees than the hive can handle, then the worker bees change the geometric configuration of where the egg, like the cupcake holder, you know, the egg holder, um, <laughs> and it looks like a peanut. So then they have the queen put the egg in there, and because of the geometry, energy follows geometry, because of that, it becomes a queen. And so they may make, he said, it could be only one extra queen, or it could be um, a number of them. He says he thinks the, the most he's ever detected was 12 at one time. So the first queen that gets born she is probably going to kill the old queen and maybe kill some of the others. Or maybe she'll just say, I'm out of here. And as she leaves, about half of the Baha'i will go with her. Now, last year when Derek uh, introduced the Shungite to the hives, one of the hives almost became a queen factory. Remember, he kept finding the... Oh, that how how many queens that particular hive was producing, and he kept grabbing them and moving them to another hive. Has he witnessed that this year? No, 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 because queens. Oh yeah. Oh well, they have to because they swarmed. Yeah, I mean, if they're not producing, no, he's not going through like he did last year. In that, he is not trying to control what's happening. He feels that he wants to concentrate on the hives he has and let them swarm into the to the wild because the wild is is in, in dearth condition from the bees. Mm. And and to make sure that they would survive out there, he's been 
um, going out into the surrounding environment, putting up um, shungite and organite um, devices to help mitigate the Wi-Fi that might be prevalent in the area. So that, because that was my concern, you're going to let them go and they're not going to have shungite. He said, well, and I was like, oh, yeah. And plus the fact, you know, that you can just, he's got the turtle there and, and other devices to expand the field. So mm-hmm. they will be maintaining a shungite environment even over distance. The other interesting thing that happened, because it's in my mind because I was talking to him earlier, the, the other interesting thing was the um, way that these bees went from being so aggressive to being docile. Okay, it, take, it took three weeks. But at the same time, one of the things we noticed when he first got the nooks and he had the shungite on them was that the bees were not paying any attention to the shungite. The shungite hive from last year, all the bees are flying in and out and going over the shungite nuggets. But the new nooks, it was like they didn't throw it out. It wasn't like they tried to get rid of it, which they will if there's anything. He said even a stone, if you put up a stone on, on you know their little platform there, um, they'd probably knock it off. Um, but they didn't. They didn't. They didn't do it with the shungite. They just left it there. And as the the as the bees became less aggressive and more docile, they started to go over to the shungite as they were leaving and coming back. So in those three weeks, they were energy detoxing. They yes. Were being detoxed. Yeah. He th- he said he said if I could put it into words, what what did he finally decide on? It was like. They were in hyperdrive. They were all anxious. They had a lot of excess hyper energy. He says it's sort of like hyperactive. And then as they started feeling better, the toxins were leaving their system, the chemical toxins put on by the original, you know, source. Um, and the, uh, they, they were protected from Wi-Fi. As they started, and the ticks started disappearing, because once you start getting your str- strength back, then the hive itself can take the ticks off and kill them. You know, it's not like you're uh, killing the ticks. mites? The mites, yeah. Mites? Tit, no, ticks. Is it mites or ticks? ticks but, no, ticks feed off of blood. Uh, I, don't, I don't see a tick going anywhere near bee. No, it's a bo- it's, biola mite. It's mites. Okay, it's mites. Sorry about that. Biola yeah, mite. Yeah, so they can pick these things off if they're healthy. That's how they how they get rid of them. But if they're sick to begin with, they don't have the energy and the ability uh, to keep up with these things. Yeah, and, and just like a human taking pharma drugs, I bet you the chemistry stresses their biology tremendously. So here you're trying to stay healthy, but your your entire biology is being weighed down by processing all this chemistry. So you get rid of the chemistry, you get rid of the stress. And it's like what... I remember when people would go see my naturopathic doctor in New York. He says, even before I can start treating you, I have to detox you from all the drugs that you're taking. They, they stand in the way of you getting better. So the first few weeks was just pure cleansing and detoxing. So he says, then when I, whatever I, I can do for you will work. Because we, you can't do both. Um, so... That's the, the, the detoxing is number one step to getting them back to health. Um, who knows? That chemistry sounds real awful. 
Yeah, yeah, I was. I was like, you know, sometimes you would go to reach for the mute thing, and it's sort of like anyway. Um, I totally agree. Yeah, but um, it was interesting to see the correlation between them, the aggression, and their interest in Shungite. It's like which came first? Did the Shungite started calming them down, or did they get calm so they could understand the, the you know that that Shungite was doing something positive for them? It was interesting. Well, the uh, the thing there is that uh, because his entire environment is affected by Shanghai, even if he had not put three nuggets there, they still would have been detoxed because there's such a huge field in his property. So then when when they finally come down on detox, they were able to pay attention to the nuggets there. But it's like even as a human, a human who's under a lot of stress, how many details do you notice? None. Because you're totally focused on on the stress and you're feeling this and you're feeling that. Who has time to pay attention to details? <laughs> Poor things. I'm glad they fell into good hands. Oh yeah, and they're they're well. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, he didn't message us that this. He he knows that the second a uh, second hive is going to swarm in the next probably 48 hours. Oh, so. It's 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 absolutely fascinating, and plus the fact that we've got eucalyptus honey, which is really really very good. Um, he, he, does, not, he does. He does have it on. Let me just that. let me just plug him. Uh, he, he does have it on sale. If you go to um, shungitehoney.com, you can get um, some of this brand new, you know, eucalyptus, Washington State. Way up there in the mountains, <laughs> and it's absolutely delicious. But there's not much of it, so you better grab it while you can. <laughs> Specialty honey. Yeah. So what? What else? Um, have you have you had encountered any new thoughts or what? What's Fulford said? Has he been t- talking about anything? What'd you? Well, what'd you, what's really what really got my attention on the latest Fulford post? Um, uh, it's what he says at the very end of the post because I haven't heard anybody say that since 2004. I, I, I was amazed that he's mentioning something. And the very first time I heard this said was for, by Dr. Joseph Costa of the Institute of Thought. He said it during a, a lecture that um, at the end of the post, he's saying that it, it seems that he actually communicated with someone who is in the secret space program. And he says that we have to get involved in not allowing the cabal to do their crap of nuclear holocaust, which is what they're pushing for. He says, because they're, um, they violated galactic law. They don't know it, but they violated galactic law. And he says that when they uh, threw the nuclear bombs in Japan, um, he quoted, the year 1945, is this correct? I'm not a year, I'm not a history major like you. Was it 1945? I think so, yes. He says that actually affected other planets. And that's why they, they had to take action and come here and stop all of this crap. And the very first time I heard that was from the mouth of Dr. Costa, who says, all of this is happening. We have to do this work. You have to clear your old karma and your old issues, and you have to heal. Because the you just can't proliferate 
nuclear weapons and think, oh, you're all alone in the universe, isolated. No, he says, all of that stuff is actually hurting other worlds. And they're here to make sure that you, you stop. You don't continue doing this. So that was very interesting. After all these, all this time, over a decade, uh, someone is actually saying it out in the open. Because these guys are trying their damnedest to start a third world war, and they're not going to be allowed to do it. Because they, and it's that connection. It's that connection to CERN too. You know, it's they don't care. You know, as long as they get their way, and if if I can't get it my way, then it's no way at all. That attitude doesn't fly anymore. They say, okay, so you don't like it? Fine, leave. Well, I've gotten to the point recently <laughs> that I think that the only way we can really, because everything is changing so very fast, um, the only thing that I believe would be, let's say, uh, an efficient way of taking the next step in the thought warfare thing is to really focus on making aware those people that are involved in all this stuff. I don't know if it's entities that you can grab negative entities out of them somehow or that you um, <clears throat> try to convince them from the collective consciousness, but we've got to make changes very swiftly, and we've got to make it in the minds of people that are in least positioned in quote, um, in power. So I've taken to thinking about politicians, leaders, you know, uh, more in the framework of wake up. You know, I don't dwell on it, but I have found myself looking at them and saying, you know, wake up, become aware, stop what you're doing. Because again, it's the concept of a good, awake, aware version of that person exists someplace. So if we focus on this time, in this timeline, on an energy field that says, you're going to wake up. You're going to make the changes. You've been screwing us for so long, but you're the ones that are going to make the change. You're the ones that are going to wake up. We can draw well, in, into our reality the, the people that are the good versions Go ahead. No, that, what I was going to say, this is like what I, the other, uh, another thing I've said in other shows is that it's nice to live a stress-free life, you know, without negativity uh, attacking you at every turn. But like Gianna um, Mata, a disciple of Yogananda, said, if we didn't have any kind of problems, we would be good. But we wouldn't be good for much because we would be like spiritual cream puffs. The slightest thing we just... Uh, you know, make us fall on our knees and, and quiver and cry. And she was right because uh, what is that thing? Is that um, you keep attacking something, you end up making it stronger. Uh, if I hadn't been the the receptor of all that uh, psychic attack, I wouldn't have been made wise to the fact that I had a a, a door that was left open. So. I needed that attack in order to find out where I left weak spots. So I got something good out of it. I could have, I could dwell on the negative and say, oh my God, I'm suffering so much, I'm getting all this. Oh, look, this is really useful. Like, that's my attitude. What can I grab that I can use? 
Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's like you know <laughs> all of these things that seem to be um, barriers or attacks or whatever. Okay, they're there to teach you something, but they're not necessarily there forever. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's like it's witnessing. It's like okay, if um, if what 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 if I do uh, throw this entity at you? How are you going to handle it? Okay. It's almost like the etherically, astrally, whatever, in our heads, holographically, I don't know. But they set us up for certain things. And then we react to it one way or the other. Because a lot of times these things are passing through. I mean, we get on a subject and then it, and then it passes through. It's like it's continually morphing what they're teaching us. Do you feel that? <laughs> yeah. It's the old, uh, I call it the cockroach effect, <laughs> which is so common in, in New York, the, where you, you're walking in the dark at night because you're going to the kitchen to get something, a glass of water or a glass of milk, whatever, and you turn on the lights, and all the roaches on the floor just scurry away because somebody turned on the light. It's the same thing. you know. As long as it's dark and nobody knows that they're there, they're busy and active. But once they've been seen... That's it. They're, they're rendered powerless because now you're aware. Now you're seeing that they're there. That's the, that's why the witnessing effect is such a powerful thing. It, it doesn't call for you to do something about it in the sense of, oh, I've got, I've got to get poison and stuff. And, but by witnessing somebody's evil doing, that in and of itself is what's changing the evil doing to begin with. It's the, the principle of quantum mechanics, isn't it? When you witness something, you alter the results. Exactly. And how many times have you said that, you know? And and once it's witnessed, don't hold on to it. Let yeah, it let, let it, go. it go. You know, it's like just because it was here and real for X amount of time, as long as you've learned what you need to do, just get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, that's why it, 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 they need absolute that's why they 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 weren't stupid. They invested such monumental fortunes in owning all the media companies, because secrecy is their lifeblood. Without secrecy, if people find out what they do, there goes their power. And look look how they're fighting tooth and nail to protect their whole monstrosity that has been going on for centuries. Because as people learn of it, find out about it, and are talking about it, and are appalled by it, and are inter- are following the stories of, you know, who's been uh, arrested and what's all this stuff that's happening and it's it's caving in their empire. You're, you're destroying that energy, that, that field, all this stuff. Like somebody, I remember one point, uh, Colleen made a valid observation when we were talking about the sealed indictments and she says, and she said, but I don't hear any names, you know, they're not naming names, but uh, that, that has changed. Uh, so, uh, somebody did a Google, just Google the words unsealed indictments, and you'll see a whole list of names and pictures of people indicted for all this pedophilia stuff. So it's coming out. It's not being kept a secret anymore. Little by little, it's coming out. The term is unsealed indictments? Yep. Now, go to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do it on my browser. I'm going to type the two words. 
because there's that that one that um, was in Philadelphia and it named uh, Hillary Clinton and Podesta in it, um, but it wasn't signed. That bothered me, and I couldn't find any other reference to it. There was two references, and they both were document archives. There was nobody talking about it. It was really strange. But her name was there, and so wasn't Podesta. And, uh, I don't know, probably ten more. Uh, And it was Uranium One. It was uh, the Uranium One case, not pedophilia. I got a ton of hits. Let's see what this one says. There's one from a website called Disclosure News. Well, this is boring. <laughs> yeah, you have to filter through all the other stuff that has nothing to do with anything. Well, we were talking about the fact that Google seems to be... Uh, I, when I put in any search, it's coming up no alternative discussions. Now, if I'm somebody who is continually going to alternative websites and their um, system is supposed to be search-sensitive to what I've been, my history then why do I never see an alternative site anymore? I mean, they just don't show up. They are definitely, 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 you know, trying to keep us from the truth. So I'm well, a- This particular site shows the first indictments unsealed, and they list Uranium One. Oh, okay. The Department of Justice unsealed 11 counts of foreign bribery, fraud, and money laundering against transportation companies. An executive of a Maryland-based transportation company allegedly paid bribes to officials from Russia, which enabled him to obtain highly sensitive nuclear fuel transportation contracts. No, that's not it. Then, and, then, and then the thing goes on. It's a long list. Fences indicted on a multi-million dollar. Here's an FDA.gov. FDA. Yeah. April 4th, 2018. Fences is indicted in multi-million dollar multi-state criminal theft operations. Well, not all of the steel indictments are for pedophilia. I mean, these people are, if they are nothing, if not creative with their crimes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Pedophilia is the tip of the iceberg. Who knows what other crap they've been doing for years. Oh, wow. Um, listen, we are at the top of the hour almost, and um, I need you to, after the show, come into my computer because voice meters doing I, it just wasn't responding. Okay. Um, and this is this is all also an ad for Walt because <laughs> if if you people have computers, you're going to have computer problems. Call Walt. Get a hold of Walt. He's at New Paradigm tools.net you can get a hold of him he can come into your computer and he can fix what's wrong I mean 
well, okay, on a couple of occasions, some things didn't quite get done. <laughs> but it wasn't Walt's fault, it was the programming. But he knew that it was the programming and not the machine. Um, it's, he's going to take so much, you know, just stress off of you because he's going to be able to help you and help you efficiently. So, um, and he's not any more expensive than anybody out there. And I'm telling you, I, I, I have him on retainer. We pay him just to be there for us when we need him. So please, if you've got a computer, you got a problem, get a hold of Walt. You know, yeah, it's going to no cost. Max, please. It's going to cost an energy exchange. You're going to have to give him some money, but he's going to give you back your computer. Um, okay, so um, Colleen, what are you doing next? What 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 are you going to play the uh, Jeremy that was a replay? Yes. Wait, wait, hold on. I had my microphone up above my head. Ah, uh, yes. Coming up next will be Jeremy Vaney's The Experiment Experience. And it will be a replay from last week, uh, the dark and personal aspects of transformation. And he says, it's time to go deep. It's time to get heavy. It's time to get personal. So that's what's coming oh, up I'm next. Gonna... Isn't it, though? <laughs> And then after that will be replays of today's shows for all you people who didn't get to listen to them live. You'll get a chance to listen to them later or you people over in Europe or Australia or somewhere where you're on a completely different time zone. Yeah, you might yeah, want you, you might want might to be doing the streaming on that. Um, I will stream also if I get up I sh- and when I get up. Um, because there have been, I, I, when I get up in the morning, I've been noticing that the stream dropped off and it always was like three hours it had only been up. And that's because it was going off at six o'clock in the morning or it's coming on at six o'clock in the morning. They're shutting me down on the internet. I didn't know it. But last, what? What? Yeah, I, yeah, last night I was up, you know, and all of a sudden I'm trying to send a, uh, an email. And it's saying something about the server, and I'm going, well, how can you be talking to me if the server's down? You know, and I'm talking to 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 Sheba, and then I said, huh, and I reached over and hit the Dell, and it was not connected. It had dropped the stream. Not the Dell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, HP. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it had dropped the stream. So I then called Comcast, and they said, oh, well, we'll be working on the lines until 6 a.m. in the morning. So I apologize to any international people that, you know, didn't hear us up. I thought we were up. I had no clue that this was dropping off for that amount of time. Hmm. Because then it comes up. I'm telling you, Nancy, they're doing something. The power company and the Internet providers... Especially Comcast are up to something. Well, we're just going to have to shake up our our reality here and get the good Comcast people to be over here. The solid system that doesn't screw us over. That's what I see. Mm-hmm. Come on. Come on over to our life, our reality. Come on. We don't want this well, problem. I don't know if they're getting ready for 5G or what they're doing, but they're, they're we are doing not. Something. We are not going to 5G. No, no 5G. No, 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 no. Don't even comprehend it. Don't even think about it. Not going to go. Well, yeah, because personal protection from 5G is insignificant. What about 
all the flora and fauna of the planet. You're going to be walking around with protection and they're going to be fried. Zombies, so no, zombies. You don't want 5G. 5G is bad. We can't allow it. It's a mind control thing. It's been developed by weapon. People that deal with weapons created this. And they've got it. They want to target it against us. It's the end game. And if it wasn't the end game, why won't they pay for damage caused because of Wi-Fi electromagnetic energy? The insurance companies won't cover it. (laughs) It's a rider. It's called uh, Exclusion 32. Now, if it wasn't going to... You know they're doing this, and you can't sue them, so there. There you go. Kind of like with pharmaceutical companies. But we can sue and threaten the legislators. They stopped the smart meters from going into Hawaii because the activists went to the legislature and said, the telecommunications people by law cannot be sued. However, you can. So we are giving you official legal notice that if our families or ourselves are found to have damage because of the smart meter, then we're going to come after you legally for for, uh, a dereliction of duty in that you didn't uphold the... uh, the safety of the public and personally suing you for, um, you know, the passing co- a stupid law that we can't sue them for hurting us. Well, so <laughs> no, but they did it by the state, and Hawaii doesn't have smart meters because the legislature buckled and said, "No, we won't, we we won't, we won't let this happen." So it's already been done because without the smart meters, they can't get the five G in. Which is why they are putting smart meters. You know they're putting smart meters in up for gas as well as electricity. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, we've got a smart meter out for the water. They they read it digitally. But it's not carrying any... Well, it could. It actually could energize the pipe system. And um, that was a very highly secretive thing back then. But you could put an electric current on a pipe and then use the pipe as sort of like a, a, the the carrier wave and so they could hear anything spoken inside certain rooms. Mm. So maybe they could use it that way. Keep an eye on us. <laughs> anyway. Are we off? We're off. Are we, are we done with the radio? We're, we're done okay. with the radio. We're going to say um, adios. Cosmic Reality Radio is going to go down, so please go to Haggy Shack. And, um, Colleen, I'll let you know what my friend Walt says. Okay, <laughs> okay. All right. Be safe, everybody. Good night, and be blessed. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Haggy Shack Radio and simulcast over Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello.